0: Hello. Am I good? Yeah, okay, I'm good. Your your applause is so loud, I couldn't couldn't hear myself. So thank you for that warm applause. So welcome again. Um, Like Gino said, my name is David Jacob. Just again, want to welcome anybody who feels like you're a visitor, first, second, third time. I see some new faces, so welcome. Welcome to those of you coming to check us out. Welcome regulars, and I especially want to welcome anybody who's listening to us on our website or our podcast, uh, Gino told me some statistics, and there are, there are actually people listening on our website, so, you know, we say that, like, dreamy people will, and people actually do, so so welcome, you people out there. I know that I've said this before on a few other occasions, and if you have an extended conversation with me, it probably wouldn't take very long to get to the topic of movies. I really love movies, and let me clarify kind of at the top, I really love good movies, movies. Um, my brother, who is an even um, more avid movie buff and lover than I am, would watch any movie if it just was on a reel at some point. I'm not at that, I'm not at that place. But I just love movies. I love the character development. I love the creative plot that, that the screenwriters put together. I love the cinematography. I love the artistry of, of directing and acting. I really, really get into that. And again, it has to be good. I appreciate good, good movies. And and, and one of the marks of a good movie is that there's usually more layers than just kind of what we see in front of us. Very often when I'm watching a a good movie, kind of uh, worth watching, I try to uncover what is the message that the screenwriter is trying to tell me. What is it that the director is trying to point my eye to and trying to get my attention to focus on? What is the, what is the emotion, the, 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 the personality that the actresses and the actors are trying to, trying to draw me into? And I love that. I love trying to discover what is kind of behind and in the midst of, of that movie. My wife Jenny, by her own admission, just simply likes the story of the movie. It's like, so Jenny, how was it? Yeah, it was good. I liked it. And instead, so if you would ask Jenny, you know, what was that movie about? She would say, well, it's about a little girl and her father. If you would ask me, I would be like, well, it's actually about bravery in the heart of, of like when the world is crashing down on you. Honestly, I think that's what the screenwriter was trying to tell us. And, and so there's, there's different perspectives. And honestly, it, you can have your own perspective. But that's just kind of where I'm coming from. And like some of the good movies that I like to watch and other good uh, uh, kind of classic literature, I think the Bible has also has stories. It has plot lines. It has character development. It has imagery and action. It has love stories. It has battle scenes. It's a very complex and layered story of an incredible feats. And at face value, we kind of see the Bible as a collection of maybe just incredible stories. You might read the Bible and say, well, that was a good story. But if we look Excuse me. If we look deeper, we can also see that there are, are several themes, there are things that the Bible is trying to tell us that may not be explicitly stated on the pages. And we see that themes running from the beginning of the book all the way to the end of the book. Perhaps if you were to put an umbrella over the entire Bible, we would say that the Bible is a, is a love story about a loving God trying to draw his people back to him. And so as people at some point, way at the beginning of history, walked away from, from what God had planned for their lives. And it's a story of this loving God, who is merciful and just, and, and just loving and compassionate, constantly trying to draw his people back to him. And we see that these themes run from the beginning to the end. And even within certain books and, and certain sections of the Bible, we see, we see themes and, and, and just kind of these expressions of who God is and what, what the Bible is really all about. We're in the third week of a sermon series that we're simply calling Jonah. Um, for the past few weeks, we've been tracking through a very small book in the Old Testament named Jonah about a guy named Jonah. Um, We did not think very hard about the series title. It just kind of happened to be Jonah. Don't worry, we are assembling, literally, we are assembling a creative team that will help us to move past these types of things and get some, I don't know, pizzazz, maybe. Anyway, so that's where we are. We've been tracking through the book of Jonah And so while the story of Jonah includes some sailors, includes this guy named Jonah, it includes a very big fish, it includes a a city uh, uh, named Nineveh, it includes cattle dressed in burlap, it includes a worm, it includes all these interesting things, what we really see is if we look back that, that the story is really about God. The story is really about God. More specifically, the overarching theme and what we might call the mega theme of this book is the mercy of God. The mercy of God. And this is an incredibly important part of this story, but I think it's an incredibly part of the, the story of the entire Bible, the story of our lives. Consider the idea that if God showed exact justice, the justice that he very well deserved to show, the Bible would literally be like two pages. I mean... People screwed up. God said, well, all right, I am perfectly holy, can't have this anymore. And so the Bible would have ended as a pamphlet, perhaps at Barnes & Noble or something like that. I don't know where this world would be if God did not show mercy. mercy. Amen. Amen. Thank you for mercy. And so we see God's mercy, and we especially see it in this book with this guy named Jonah. In the first chapter, we saw Jonah running away from what God wanted him to do. He literally got on a boat and got in the, uh, tried to travel as far and as fast away from what God was calling him to do uh, as possible. And we, and we talked about how, how we can run from God and we could try to run from God. And we try to circumvent his plans and try to try to get around the back door, but it doesn't really work. It never really works out that way. Instead, God's mercy, because God is so merciful and loving, he does not chase us with judgment. He does not chase us with, with just like this iron fist, but instead he chases us and he pursues us with his mercy. And that's what we see in the book of, uh, in the book of Jonah, chapter 1. Uh, and, and a couple weeks ago, I thought Gino gave a great, great message about, about how that, that running away from God really doesn't work. Jonah disobeyed God, and we, and we were able to see through Jonah's life the clear downsides of disobedience. And I think it's important for us to understand the downsides of when we mess up, when we run away from God. And it's not a bad thing to show us how, how when we make certain choices, there are downsides. And we see that very clearly, that, that, that Jonah, there were downsides to Jonah's rebellion and Jonah's fleeing from God. In the second chapter, Jonah realizes his foolishness and cries out to God for mercy. He just so happened to be sinking in the sea. It's probably a good time to cry out for mercy. And so Jonah does. And we see God uh, responding to that, responding to that in in a very merciful way by, by having Jonah swallowed by a fish. It's merciful to be swallowed by a fish. You could tell people that. Have you experienced God's mercy lately? Have you been swallowed by a fish? Anyway, so we see that in, in chapter two, how God responds to Jonah's cry for mercy. And, and, and we see that, that Jonah was actually uh, repenting and, and, and turning his, his attention away from trying to travel away, but instead reorienting himself to God. I think it's another very important part of God's love and mercy to be able to see the upside of our repentance. So in chapter 1, we see the downside of our disobedience and I think it's very important for also, also for us to see a clear picture, a demonstration, and we use the book of Jonah to do that, to see the upside of God's mercy and our obedience. This morning I actually want to talk about the impact of obedience. I titled today's message, The Impact of Obedience, and I chose the word impact very carefully. You know, we can gather from this story and other stories throughout the Bible that there's more than just this action and reaction when it comes to obedience. God, God we, there is not necessarily an equivalent, you know, we disobey to some, to some degree and so God responds in mercy to some degree. It is lopsided. God showed us, shows us incredible mercy way beyond what we actually deserve. And so we see the impact of obedience because it's not just a simple action and reaction. There's something profound that happens when we obey. God responds with just very impactful ways into our lives and to the lives of of the other people around us. Special things happen when the people of God turn their hearts to him and obey him. And I think what we'll see today is just, just this merciful and loving God giving a lopsided response. To obedience, and so I want to talk about the impact of obedience. And I also recognize that the story of Jonah is—it was in a very faraway land, uh, a long time ago. It's almost like the beginning of a Star Wars movie, but it's—it's uh, it's just very. We're disconnected from that, so I'm going to try to help us contextualize and bring it to today. Okay. So we're going to try to do that, uh, all keeping in mind that this is. Uh, you know, the truth of God is eternal. And that's why preachers have been standing on pulpits for the last thousands of years. There's what, there is no time limit on the Bible. There is no time limit on God's truth. And so hopefully we can we can bring forward God's truth, but also bring it to, within our lives. So we're going to be reading from Jonah chapter 3. And I'd love it if you would follow along with me. Jonah chapter 3. Listen, if you do, if you're not really familiar with the Bible... Uh, I know that some of these smaller books can kind of get lost. If you know where Matthew is, just find Matthew and then just kind of go backwards. And it won't take too many pages to find Jonah. Or I suppose you can look in your table of contents too. It might be the easier way to go. But anyway, so with Jonah chapter 3. And before I get there, let me just again just try to catch us up on the story. And so we begin the book of Jonah encountering God giving Jonah a very specific task. God told him to go to a city named Nineveh and announce God's judgment on that city. Jonah does something fairly unusual for prophets, people who have been specifically called out and elevated to the office of a prophet. And that he, just, he does not unquestionably obey God. He unquestionably disobeys God and tries to run literally, literally in the opposite direction. It's very unusual for a prophet of that time. Well, God didn't like that very much. And wasn't going to let Jonah get away that easily. Uh, Jonah gets in a boat and he's trying to run away, but God causes a storm. And, and uh, that storm um, kind of motivates the people on the boat. And Jonah just kind of willingly submits himself He says, listen, throw me over. I know the storm is my fault. Throw me over. And so Jonah goes over the side of the boat and we see him sinking. And in that moment, he cries out to the Lord. God responds in mercy. We see that his his prayer, his heartfelt prayer, his heartfelt realignment to God and says, God, my salvation comes from you. He didn't try to manipulate the situation and say, all right, let's negotiate. You get me out of the water, then uh, maybe we'll talk about Nineveh. But instead, he was crying out, saying, God, you're God. The best I could do right now is just say help. And God responded in mercy. And he... um, um, Jonah was swallowed by a fish, and, and uh, after three days in the belly of that fish, this fish spits him out onto the beach. And that's where we find ourselves at the beginning of Jonah chapter three. So I'm going to read. I'm going to read the passage, and then I'm going to pray for us. Um, is everybody with us? With me? Yeah. Okay. The words will also be displayed on the screen if you want to look at the screens too. But all right. So Jonah chapter three, starting in verse one. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time, Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap, on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps, even yet, God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Let me pray for us this morning. Father in heaven, I, again, I just thank you for who you are. I thank you that you decided to give us a book called the Bible that revealed who you are. Just how awesome you are, how merciful you are, how wonderful you are. And God, you put it in a way that people like me can understand it. And I thank you for that. And Lord, I ask that you would go even beyond our uh, initial rec- understanding of what, this, what the, these passages are talking about. Lord, there's a deeper meaning, there's a deeper truth that only you can express to us. So, Lord, would you help us to open our hearts and receive what you are trying to teach us this morning. God, I know that we're all in different places, and I know that we all kind of need to hear you in different ways. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would speak. Speak to every single person in this room. Lord, we put power in this message. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, what we can carry over from chapter 2, as we discuss, is that Jonah had repented of his rebellion and turned back to the direction of what God called him. So what we say, what we saw in Jonah doing in chapter 2, and now we see the Ninevites doing in chapter 3, is repenting before the Lord. And unfortunately, the word repenting can often be confused with the idea of just apologizing. They don't mean the same thing. Repenting means so much more than just saying, I'm sorry, God. However, we can... To put it, uh, we can say that, that repentance means letting go of our agenda and letting God take control. That's really what repentance means. It doesn't just mean saying, I'm sorry. To put it another way, repentance is like you know us traveling in a certain direction and assuming at the end of that direction is our idea. Our idea of the good life, what we want to do, our agenda. And, and the, it, it is the action of turning around in the complete opposite direction sometimes and going in the direction that God has called us to go. That is what repenting is. It's an action. It's, 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 it's a decision. It's, 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 a, it's the commitment to not just say I'm sorry, but a commitment to follow what God has called us to do. And if we could say that choosing our idea of, of what we want to do and going in this direction is disobeying God. And we say that going, uh, going in the direction that God has called us to do is obeying God. Then what we see is we see Jonah and the Ninevites uh, in, in, in repenting. They are obeying God's command to turn around and, and, and follow what God has called them to do. I, I think that repentance requires obedience they can repentance cannot exist without obedience we cannot say we're sorry and 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 try to still do our own thing it just doesn't work that way so we say repentance requires obedience and so today we see them and we might describe it as repentance but i'm going to describe it as them obeying what god told them to do and we're going, to, we're going to talk about the impact of that obedience, that obedience of turn from what they were doing and, and follow God. And we see the, the, the mercy of God and the response of God impacting both Jonah, the people around Jonah, and of course the city of Nineveh. And so we're going to talk about the different ways that all of the, that obedience impacted some of the key players in the story. The first impact of of Jonah's obedience, uh, we see that in chapter 2. Jonah's obedience and his repentance is, is I want to highlight today that God restores Jonah. God restores Jonah. This is a very important, important part of this story. Let's let's read Jonah chapter 3 verse 1. It says, then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. You know, God had every right to pass judgment. Jonah was the one that ran away. Jonah was the one that abandoned God. God could have said, all right, listen, you ran away. I'm going to let you go down to the depth of the ocean. We're going to call it a day because I don't have time for this. Or at the very least, God could have said, all right, I'm going to save you from the sea. I'm going to spit you out on the, on the beach. Why don't you just go home? Because obviously you don't want to play by my rules. God could do that. He could have. But instead, God restores Jonah. He puts him back on the mantle of being a prophet that's undeserved mercy Why? why did god do that you you ask yourself god you could have you could have got someone else there's obviously other people who would have been itching to just serve you in any way that they could but it's a reflection of god's mercy and how he responds to our obedience we see that god restores jonah and it kind of gives us hope that perhaps, if we obey, God will restore us. God will restore us. You know, that's another theme all going all throughout the Bible. And that's part of, the, part of the description of God trying to call his people back to himself. Is that God is constantly restoring people. Constantly restoring people. In fact, you almost get the impression that God can't really use good people. <laughs> he uses like screwed up people who have done terrible things. And for some reason, because God is God, and there's maybe an explanation that I don't understand yet, is that God loves to restore people and put them back to a place, sometimes even beyond where they began. And we see this in, in, in Abraham. And I'm just going to kind of rattle some names. And, and if you don't know who they are, talk to me. I'd love to tell you about them. But we, but we see that this guy Abraham, he goes to Egypt. And he, and he gives his wife... To the Egyptian king as kind of like to be a part of his harem. Now, now be a part of one of his palace wives. Listen, they, they, palace wives don't sit around and knit all day. You can imagine that giving up your wife meant some, some fairly uh, 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 consequential things. And so God... Rep- Abraham repents and God rescues him from that situation and he restores him and guess what? Abraham just so happens to become the, the father of the entire nation of Israel. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Jacob, Abraham's grandson, lied to his father in a very devious and like thought out way. The deal was, the do was just devious and he stole from his brother perhaps the most important blessing that, that a son can get. And God, God makes this guy the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. It's like, God, what, what's going on here? Am I missing something? But God restored him after he repented. Moses killed a man. Dude killed the guy. And God restored him and used Moses to lead people out of, out of Egypt, an entire nation out of Egypt. King David, he, he, he committed adultery, tried to cover up, and he murdered somebody. And God restored him and said, "From your line, there will be a savior that, that will reach all the, that will save the entire world." Peter, Jesus' beloved disciple, beloved disciple, basically spits in Jesus' face and denies him. says, "I don't have anything to do with that guy. Don't put me next to that guy. He denies him. And God restores this guy and makes him the leader of the early church. It doesn't make sense. Over and over we see this story of of God uh, using broken people. People who deserve to be sent home. People who don't deserve to be saved. And God restores them. Restores them. It's an amazing part of who God is. And it's God's response to our obedience is that he restores us. He restores us. There's also a danger to this. The danger is assuming that we can do whatever we want, and then as long as we kind of turn around at the last minute, that God will restore us back to kind of how things used to be. That is very, very dangerous. Let me tell you from example, from my personal life, that is extremely dangerous. I'll give you three quick reasons. One, who says you have... Who says you have the right to tell God to restore you? God can do whatever he wants. God may not restore you, and he'd still be right. He would still be right. So to gamble with that fire, it's just not not good. You don't want to be on the opposite end of that table when when you try to explain to God, well, I thought you were merciful and loving, and you were going to restore me. You don't want to go there. Second Second, really good reason why you don't want to do that. It's consider the idea that as we walk toward God, God blesses us. And I'm going to use a monetary example, but please don't get hung up on this. Uh, let's let's say that as we approach uh, pursue God, every day he just kind of gives us a nickel, and 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 every day, sometimes it gives us a little more nickels than normal, and He's just giving us these blessings and blessings. When, when, when we decide to turn away from God, God takes away a nickel. So instead of gaining God's blessing, instead of gaining his favor, instead of moving in the direction that God wants us to, when we walk away and we think, oh, I'll just turn it around later, we are losing. And, and if you can do the math, you're losing twice as much. Instead of gaining, you are now losing. At the end of, say, 500 days, instead of having 500 nickels, now you're 500 in the hole. And so we see that, that running away from God and trying the idea that we could do whatever we want and turn it around later. We're losing. We're losing out. I don't want that. I've experienced that. I've experienced that. There were many years in the end of high school and all th- most of the way through college where I just decided I'm going to do my own thing. And I convinced myself, listen, if I just kind of turn it around when I, after I graduate, then, then things will go well for me. And I didn't wait as long as to graduation, but I, but I, I did turn, turn my life around. And I just found myself so far behind the curve. So far behind the curve. I saw people who were the same age as me. So far beyond uh, my position. And I just wish that I could go back and not play that game with God. God is a God of merc- mercy and restoration. But that doesn't mean that we could just play games with him and turn it around. And then the final reason, really good reason, is listen, you might, you might go thinking you're going to come back. But there's no guarantee that you'll come back. No there are people who go out and decide to do whatever they want to do, and they don't come back. That's a game you don't want to play. And so God is a God of, of restoration. He does restore us, but he wants us to be obedient now. Right now. So we see the, the impact of Jonah's uh, uh, desire and, and his uh, commitment to turn away from his agenda and turn toward God. We see that and God restores him. And that is an amazing, amazing thing that God really had no reason to do. But he went beyond himself and was merciful and restored him. And another way that, that God, the impact of Jonah's obedience is that God blesses Jonah's obedience. God blesses Jonah's obedience. I'm going to kind of flesh this out. Uh, But before we get to that, I kind of want to ask some, some perhaps some legal questions here. Uh, I'm not a lawyer, and I'm not going to try to pretend. But but I think it's important that we need to ask, what exactly did God tell Jonah to do? What exactly did God tell Jonah to do? In other words, if we're going to give Jonah the credit for obeying God, what is it that he was actually told to do, and what is it that he is obeying? And we kind of find the answer in verse 2. God tells Jonah, verse 2, he says, Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and deliver the message I have given you. And I think it's really important to note some of the specifics here. God says, get up. That's kind of the first step. Basically, all right, it's time to start moving. Get up, go to Nineveh. He gave him a very specific destination. And then he tells Jonah to deliver the message that he had given to him, and we we see his message of uh, of judgment in in, in uh, chapter one. And I'm going to kind of come back and uh, come back around and talk about why it's so important that we focus on some of the details here. But before we do that, I want to talk about two principles uh, of uh, that I think are really important as we understand this idea of obedience, just kind of in general. There's some two principles that will really help us understand obedience. Um, and how we should obey. And so the first principle that I think we need to understand, in order for us to get this right, in order for us to obey well or do it correctly, is that we need to know what God is telling us to do. What is God telling us to do? In other words, how, you know, how can we obey God if we don't know what exactly we're supposed to be doing? Or Should we just make up our own plan and say, I think God is supposed to, this is supposed to please God? But instead, we ought to know what God is telling us to do. And I think there are two, two different ways that, that we are told to obey God. Uh, two kind of subcategories to this principle and how we're supposed to obey God. And the first is that, is that we're all supposed to obey God's general standards for living a good life. We're, we're Every one of us. We are all responsible for obeying God's standards for living a good life. They're not. They're not uh, ambiguous. They're actually fairly specific. God uses the good length of the entire Bible to to teach us many, many, many standards for living a good and successful life. All the way from the the law of Moses. Many of us might might have heard some something called like the Ten Commandments. Ever heard of that? Okay, that's part of God's standard for living a good life. You know, we in the Christian realm, I call it a righteous life or a holy life or something really nice sounding like that. And so we're all supposed to do that. And and we even see that, that uh, God, uh, that Jesus kind of expounds on this even a little bit more and so we see what we call the, the law of Christ in the New Testament where Jesus reiterates just about all of the, the law of Moses and 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 gives commandments and directions and Jesus says, listen, you want to be my disciple? Obey my commandments. It, we, we see these, these general directives on how we are supposed to How are we supposed to live out a good life and and a life pleasing to the Lord? And because I appreciate Jesus as a genius teacher so much, and and he has pity on people like me who may not understand everything. In Matthew 22, some people are trying to trip him up. And uh, they ask him, "So uh, so Jesus, what do you think is the greatest commandment? Basically, let's let's get into a theological debate here about about what is the greatest commandment. You know, what what is God really trying to tell us to do? And in Matthew twenty-two, Jesus Jesus tells us, He says, basically everything boils down to two things: the two greatest commandments. People, can you help me out here? What are they? Okay, now, let me just reiterate it because you yeah, know it just kind of sounded like this garbled mess. But it's to love God. And to love other people. Those are the two greatest commandments. And Jesus said all the other commandments, all the other sort of life principles that God has been trying to teach you since the beginning of time, hang on those two things. But so listen, if you don't, if you're not familiar with you know the book of Numbers and, and Leviticus and all those really weird and obscure laws or whatever, just filter your pursuit of life through those two things. Am I loving God? And loving people. And they're not mutually exclusive. In the book of James, James tells us how if you if you say that you love God and hate your neighbor, you're not loving God. You can't you can't separate those two. Love God and love people. If you can filter your life through that, then you're probably on the right track. And so we see that we're all accountable. To live a general life that is pleasing to God and, and, and obeying his general commandments. But we also see, as part of this, this idea of how to how to obey God, is that God gives each one of us a specific purpose for our lives. You know, we might call it, say, say God has, has a plan for your life. Each one of us. Each one of us, or we might say that God has a certain will for your life. I don't have the same will as Jonah. I don't know where Nineveh is. I can't just piggyback on Jonah's, Jonah's uh, command to, or specific directive from God and say, well, God, I guess I'm obedient. I went to Nineveh. I, I can't do that. You and I are in different places. We live different lives. We, we interact with different spheres. We're going to have different purposes for each one of our lives. And those of us who have, and this is everybody, I believe that God has a plan for every single person, whether you believe in God or, or not. God has a specific plan for everyone. He created you in His image. There's no no, uh, hollow shell that that God creates. God wishes that everybody would, would follow Him and obey Him. And so we all have these different plans. And so those of us who are part of the church, we're all supposed to put those together we working together as, a, as a, one person as a foot, one person as a hand, one person is just a different part of a body to, to, to fulfill the kingdom ministry. But we all have different things that we're supposed to do, and most often it's together. So that's how we obey God. There are two ways we're supposed to obey these general things. But then we're also supposed to commit ourselves to obeying the specific purpose that God has for our lives. And I I talked about kind of walking away from the Lord, um, kind of in college and and a few years ago. I, I was disobeying both of them. I was disobeying both categories. I didn't live anything close to a righteous life. I wasn't even close to holy or anything like that. And I knew what God had specifically called me to do, and I threw that out the window as well. I was just very disobedient. And so God is calling us to to living a life that is good all the time, but also good in a sense that we have a specific purpose and calling on our lives. So once we have this idea of what we're supposed to do and how to obey God, I think the second principle of obedience that I think will help us is only do what God has told you to do. Only do what God tells you to do. I think we get ourselves into trouble when we try to do more. Or less than what God tells us to do. There's a story of the uh, first king of Israel in the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, his name was Saul. Uh, and it's actually, it's, it's actually a very, very uh, important teaching moment for all of us. Uh, but, but the story goes like this. Uh, God gives a very specific directive to this guy named Saul. He was the king. And God tells the king, listen, there's there's these people called the Amalekites. I want you to go and just wipe them out. Everybody. Don't save anybody. Don't discriminate. Don't show mercy. Wipe them out. Including the animals. Let there be no trace. No breathing lungs left in the city. In the Amalekite city. And so Saul, he goes, he wins the battle. He, he destroys everybody except the king. Not sure why he spared the king. But then he also spared the choice animals from, from the herds. And so he comes back and, the, and the, the prophet Samuel, who was kind of God's relay, relaying God's message to him. And Samuel says, what did you do? I hear goats outside. He said that. He said, what is the noise of all that those animals outside? And Saul said, listen, I did what God told me to do. I just brought back some extra animals so that I could sacrifice to him. And what was, the, what was God's response? Oh, you know, I didn't know that. Thank you. You were so thoughtful. You went above and beyond. No. God was very harsh. And said, I told you to do something. And you did not do it. It seemed noble, Right? It seemed noble to kind of go above and beyond and say, hey, we're going to have a party for God. God, God let us win this, vic- this victory. And God said, listen, th- I told you something very specific. You didn't do that. So we get ourselves into trouble when we try to go above what God has told us to do. And it's, it kind of sounds harsh, but let me, let me bring this, kind of contextualize this for us. So we, as a we as a community, we call ourselves the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Our lead pastors, Gino and Shannon, feel like they have very clear directives on what God wants for our community and how we, are, as a community, are to move and advance the kingdom of God in the Homewood, Flossmoor, South Suburbs of Chicago area. God has given them very specific things. Now, it would be noble, it would be a noble thing to try to start an after-school program. To try to start an English as a second language program. To try to start a a, a food pantry or or a women's shelter or something. All of those things are fantastic. They're noble things. But if we were to go above and beyond where God is calling us right now at this moment, we would go absolutely bankrupt. We We would run ourselves into the ground. We would be defeating ourselves and not be able to do the things that God has called us to do because we try to go above and beyond. We try to do more than what God has called us to do. We get ourselves into trouble, and it sounds backwards like, wait a minute, I thought we were supposed to do everything for God. But what God has always told us is do what I told you to do. Don't do more, and obviously, don't do less. We see what happens when we try to do less than what God has called us to do. On a personal note, some of us might be trying to dump a lot of our resources emotional resources our relational resources our spiritual resources and trying really hard to convert somebody really hard to try to get someone to church really hard to try to try to you know start a bible study at work try to start a revival like in the in the jewel parking lot or something just we're just trying really hard to advance the kingdom of god and i wonder if the message for us today is god is saying did i tell you to do that did I tell you to do that? You know, we try it in our relationships, even in our marriages, in, our, in some of the most precious relationships, and the things that, that are mean a lot to us, and we're trying really hard to make them holy. And God is saying, did I tell you to do that? And we're sapping ourselves of life, of energy. And God is saying, listen, just do what I tell you to do, and I will do the rest. I will do the rest. And that's where we can camp out. That's where we can rest. That's where we can just say, listen, I did what you told me to do and I can go no further. Anything beyond that is going to hurt me. I did what you told me to do. Some of the wisest advice that someone has ever given me, they were talking in the context of doing ministry or doing life and seeing people transform for the kingdom of God. And what he said is, listen, base your success not on numbers not on lives, not on healings, not on all that stuff, but on obedience. Base your success on obedience. If we do everything that God tells us to do, that is all that we can do. And when we do what God tells us to do, God blesses our obedience. And so what's the impact of Jonah's obedience? He Listen, this is all he did. He went to Nineveh. He spent a couple days yelling at the people, declaring God's judgment. He didn't set up a tent revival in the in the Nineveh town square. He didn't, you know, move to Nineveh so he can try to be incarnational and like reach people one person at a time. He didn't try to, like, you know, bring some other buddies with him and try to fan out. And he didn't try to do any of that stuff. All he did was do specifically what God told him to do. And God blessed him. And what was the impact of that obedience? An entire nation came to their knees before God. An entire nation came to their knees before God. And so we can kind of get trapped up trying to do our version. When God says, listen, just do what I told you to do and let me do the rest. And I think, man, if we can hit that pocket, we will see an incredible impact. Of God's mercy, mercy and love when we decide to obey Him in that way. And finally, the third impact of obedience uh, is, is the obedience of the of the Ninevites. And we see that God spares the obedient. God spares the obedient. We've already seen in earlier chapters of, of Jonah uh, that, that God spared Jonah from certain death. He was literally sinking in the sea and God spared him because of his, his heart's obedience, his heart's realignment to God's and God has spared him. And We see the continuation of God's mercy uh, here in chapter 3 and we'll, and we'll read in verse 10. It says, When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, He changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. The people of Nineveh decided to obey. They decided to repent, to turn from their evil ways. It's an action. It's an action. They didn't just say, I'm sorry, God, let us off the hook. But instead they demonstrated an act of obedience and said, God, I will choose to follow you. And God's response to that is that he spared them. He spared them. There might be two things going on in your heart right now. One, if you love God, you say, like, wow, God, awesome. He spared people and he didn't kill everybody. Cool. Thank you, God. The other part of that, the other thing that might be going on in your heart is say, God, that's not fair. Those people were evil. Those people were evil. They were renowned throughout the region for being evil. They, they, at the end of a, at the end of a, a, a battle, they would impale their captors, or, or not their captors, but their captured people. If you don't know what impaling is, they put someone on a stick in an unpleasant way, and 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 it was just it wasn't fun for any well for at least the people on the pole. But they were evil. They were merciless and they were ruthless to each other. They, I mean, just imagine a city that is just overrun by selfishness and greed and crime and and. and um, well, I suppose you don't have to imagine too hard. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. But, I mean, these people were just terrible people. Listen, I, there was a ritual. Historians tell us that there was a very common ritual practice of, like, people regularly killing babies. I mean, you think of, like, evil. That's probably, probably as evil as you can get. And God spared them. It's like, wait a minute, God. I thought this was supposed to be about judgment, about you looking tough, about you hammering down your justice. Those people deserve to be wiped away. And you spared them because of sackcloth and ashes? And God said, yeah, I spared them because God spares the obedient. God spares the obedient. Listen, before we become overwhelmed by righteous indignation, I think we need to remember two things. First thing is, you and I are Ninevites. We are those people. Some of us still live in the proverbial Nineveh. We leave here and we just go right back to that stuff. All of us have run away from God. We have all abandoned what God wants for our lives. Some of us stopped running, some of us are still running. And some of us have to decide not to run every single day. We're all Ninevites. We all have the capacity to do evil. We are all, in a sense, rotten to the core. There's There's nothing special about these Ninevites. They just didn't inhibit it. They just ran with it. But according to... So maybe you haven't murdered anybody. I don't know. Maybe you have. Maybe... You haven't murdered anybody, but we talked about the law of Christ. Jesus said, listen, if you had anger in your heart, it's the same thing as murder. That's tough. Listen, if you've looked at anybody, man or woman, if you've looked at anybody with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. Both of those things, by the way, according to the law of Moses, according to God's precepts, are punishable by death. All of us are Ninevites. And it's kind of hard to hear. I'm not evil. I'm not, I'm not that bad. But all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us need God's mercy. All of us have screwed up and probably will screw up before the day is over, maybe within five minutes. All of us are Ninevites. The second thing that we have to remember is that this is God's heart. To see that everyone will turn away from their sin and return to him. If you believe that God only spares some and not the others, you are not believing in the God of the Bible. God his heart is that everybody be spared. Everybody turn in obedience. That God didn't create some people just so he could show the, you know, how tough he is. God would love it if everybody turned in obedience. We find this very clearly in 1st Timothy chapter 2. You're welcome to turn there with me. I think the words will be on displayed on the screen. But 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul, um, who, by the way, killed people and God restored him. He's just another guy. Another hoodlum that God uses. First Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 1, he says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peace, peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom. For everyone. Everyone. This is, the, this is the message of the gospel, people. This is the message of the gospel, no matter where you came from. No matter what your family history is. No matter what your bad habits are. No matter what you, know, what you did last night. No matter what you did on the way to church this morning. No matter where you are, no matter who you are, no matter which side of the tracks you, you grew up on. Jesus came and gave his life for you. He gave his life for you. And who are we to decide who is unworthy? There's only one worthy one. And he decided to lay down his life for you and I. Who are we to decide which co-workers, which neighbors, which family members should or should not be exempted from their sins? Who and who should not be spared? God would love that all of us be obedient that all of us turn our lives to him that all of us repent and believe like Jesus says and i'm so glad not only looks on favorable and good people i'm glad he looks on scoundrels cuz i'm one of them i am listen let's let's have a conversation i bet i could beat you on how much of a scoundrel you are like. <laughs> And at a certain point in my life, I probably would have had one of the Ninevites. I would have been one of the Ninevites that the other Ninevites look out for. Like, like that, that dude is coming. Like, let's get out of here. I, I have an incredible capacity to be despicable. I do. But the mercy of God has spared me. The mercy of God has spared me. The mercy of God has restored me. The mercy of God has blessed me. Yes. The mercy of God has blessed my obedience. Listen, some of us came from Nineveh. Some of us are living there right now. And even though we go to church and we, we, we look like we have it all together, we are living a life completely separate from what God has called us to live. Some of us are on this treacherous path of trying to do what we want to do. Trying to, trying to get around the back door like we've been talking about recently. And God says, obey me. Obey me and I will bless you. I will restore you. I will honor you. I will lift you up. Obey me. I think that if you don't take away anything from today, take this away. The message of God is that for today and every day is if you and I commit ourselves to repentance and obedience and turning our lives to him, he will spare you. He will spare you. God's unwavering mercy is chasing us down, all of us. If we just obey him and turn our lives away from our plan and accept his will for our lives, God will spare us. He will restore us and he will bless us. This is the whole story of the Bible. This is why Jesus came. This is why he gave his life. And so that you and I could be spared. So that everybody could be spared. Some of us need to say amen. Because amen. Amen. that's our story. So what's the big picture here? At the, at the end of the day, this entire story is really about God's mercy. It's really about him. It's about how much he loves us. It's about how much he's willing to do for us. It's about how much he's willing to just lavish us with a lopsided, with a lopsided deal. That if we all we have to do is just obey him and turn our lives back to him, he will re, re, he will restore us. He will he will bless us. He will bless our obedience. He will he will he will um, spare us from the the mess that we get ourselves into. That's the message of God today. There's nothing that we could ever do to deserve God's mercy. Listen, you can't. The city of Nineveh had no right. To deserve God's mercy. They put ashes on their head. It's like, alright, fine, big deal. Ashes? But God spared them because of its, because it's who God is. It's about God. It's about Him. It's about His mercy. It's about His love. It's about His passion and desire to see us restored. To see us drawn to Him. To see us in a right relationship with Him. It's about Him. It's about Him calling us. It's about Him loving you more than you could ever imagine. It's about Him wanting to bless you more than you could ever imagine. It's about Him chasing us and loving us and freeing us. It's about Him. As I wrap up, Ben, you can can come up. There's an incredible impact when we obey. Our lives are impacted. The people around us are impacted. God blesses us. He restores us. And none of us deserve it. None of us could say, well, I, I obeyed like 10 times. <laughs> like, obviously, there's like a obey 10 times, get one free deal somewhere, right? <laughs> I did something. It's nonsense. God loves us. It's about Him. God restores us because it's about Him. God blesses us because it's about him. God wants us to be healthy. Healthy successful people. Successful in the sense that, you know, free of dysfunction, free of just just the the junk that we get ourselves into. God wants us to be whole, to be to be free of the oppression of the enemy, to be free of the oppression of lies, to be free from just all the junk that we accept. And pile into our lives. God wants to spare us from that. If we would just commit ourselves to being obedient to him. That's the cry of my heart this morning. I know we're all in different places right now. I know we're all traveling down different roads right now. Listen to me when I say that God wants to bless you today. God wants to spare you today. you would just turn your hearts to him let me pray for us this morning god i i almost don't even know what to pray you're just amazing we don't deserve it we shouldn't deserve it by your standards by our own standards if we were to come up with a rule book we would break it We fall short. God, because of your loving mercy, because you love us so much, because you want us so much, desperately want us, God, there's hope. There's hope. I know that some people walked in here today with no hope. They have convinced themselves that this is it. This is the life that I'm gonna live, God. I just, I just don't see that in Your Word. I don't see that as I learn more and more about You. I see that You want us restored. You want us whole. Come, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. Impact us. Impact us. Break us. Shake us impact us Lord. In Jesus name amen